Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. It's all happening. Cool. I'm here with Ross Broom. It's so nice to meet you. Yeah, Thanks so much for doing this. We've had a pure blether before this, of course. So usually I have met the person before, or but I have never met you before. You're in my kitchen, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> He's a cheap date as well. He only took a glass of water. <laughs> and I discovered you on the joy that is Instagram. We do have kind of mutual podcasty friends we've discovered yeah. um, and you go under the aka the, the transplant trainer yeah so my first question is why why did you coin yourself the transplant trainer sure um <laughs> i so I'll, I'll, I'll start at the beginning then um, go for it i it was a so when i was i'm obviously in my, my fitness my training my exercise and um, when i was when i was very young um I was diagnosed with a problem called uh, nephrotic syndrome. I was about eight years old, um, and what nephrotic syndrome is, it's uh, an autoimmune disease where your body doesn't recognise your kidneys as part of you. They recognise them as as foreign bodies, and they start attacking them. Um, So it's a degenerative problem over a progressive length of time. So as a young young laddie, um, I kind of, you know, at that age, nothing's dangerous or nothing's bad everything's just flying past and you're, you want to go and play soldiers with your friends and stuff <laughs> you just want to go on with it so you didn't pay too much attention there was lots of hospital visits okay. uh, it was law a few times um, I'd been to York Hill quite a lot I got kicked out of there at a young age because I was a big Wayne um, <laughs> like yeah you know, you're too big now you can't be cutting about you um, I, and it, it, I was always aware that they always said this my mum and dad my, my, my doctor my various doctors I'd seen always said like they always thought I kidney transplant but that from a young age didn't mean anything to me no, I was like I'll get a kidney for somebody <laughs> who knows when's that in your 20s that's miles away that's uh-huh. nowhere you know um, so as I, as, I, as I grew, I got older, um, I got a, I was never enormously sporty, I had a, a bit of a swimming background, um, and then when I hit about my kind of mid to late teens, I started playing uh, rugby. A couple of friends of mine uh, dragged me along a training session to play with, with Clydesdale Rugby Football Team up in Stonehouse, uh, and I completely fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, it became it became everything for me, it really mm. did. Um, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, training and playing with the guys, and a, a great net group of guys as well. And it taught me a, a lot of kind of, you know, how I am as a person now and a lot more mannerisms and, you know, what they say about rugby, about how they treat the referee and stuff like that, and how they treat each other. And that's the way I try to kind of go about my life as well. It's so important to find something like that at that age yeah. where, you know, like being part of a group, being part of something, working towards something. Yeah. It's really important because as young people, it can go one of two ways. I think like if you've had a hobby from a young age, ah, of course. like you get to that age where it's like... I want to give up my Saturday or whatever and just go to the shops or hang about the streets with my pals. Whereas if you found that and you fell in love with it, then you know that's great that you've got a, you know something to focus on. Sure. As I got a little bit older, um, what happened was when I was hitting my kind of my, my early to mid twenties, um, I had a couple of accidents basically playing rugby, um, and it was due to one of the tablets I was on, uh, an everyday tablet called Prednisolone. You've oh, been right. familiar okay. with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. I've been on it since I was a. A wee boy from uh-huh. the beginning, more or less. I'm still on it now, um, right. but sadly, long term negative effects of prednisolone are they cause issues with your skin, so you can uh-huh. bruise a little bit easier. Um, uh-huh. And then for me, sadly, I was cutting open, so I had a couple of 
studs in the leg. Uh, I think I think we played a pre-season friendly and I, I split my leg opened um, and I was with 29 stitches. Went up to a and I was a gnarly wound, man. Um, it was brutal. Uh, and I thought, that's a freak injury. It's not going to be a big deal. Uh-huh. I went back and played and I was bruising in odd places. I was getting bruised in my chest, my forearms from impact. And then it happened again when I was training. Uh, it was another 20-odd stitches. And at that point, you know, you've got your family and stuff. My dad sat me down and said, you need to consider jacking this in. And I really wasn't prepped for it. Mm-hmm. it that was that was everything for me. Um, and it happened an additional time, uh, a third time. And I wasn't even participating in training. I was coaching. I was holding a pad. And a lad hit the pad and he caught me funny and he caught the front of my shin. And sure enough, there it is. It's another kind of 20-odd right, stitches. Okay. Um, I, I, have a, I had a great... I say had. I still have a great relationship. I just see a different doctor now because I'm post-transplant. But... Pre-transplant, I had this terrific relationship with my, my nephrologist at the time. And what he'd, he'd see me coming in covered in bruises and I've got a, a bandage on my leg again. And he said, you need to have a, a thought about what you're doing and your health. And this is this is not doing you good in the long run. And your body's under enough pressure as it is. Because I think at that point, I was maybe around 12% renal function. Goodness. It was It was low. And I, I'd said, it's, it's me, it's what I do. I said, you, you must be in a position where there must be loads of people like this who are who are getting a doing all the time and they're getting some kind of injuries. Even people who work manual jobs, bumping into things. Very um, true, yeah. And he, he took me out into the waiting room and without, you know, pointing at everyone directly, he turned and looked at everyone and he looked at me and he said, how many of them look like they play rugby? And it was a it was a, a waiting room full of elderly people. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And I, I shrugged it off and it was a bit of macho kind of rubbish and I was like, I made a joke out of it and that. But then by the end of the hospital, the doctor's appointment, I was bawling my heart out. I was devastated yes. because it was made clear at that point that... It's your quality of life. You can't just give up something that you love that much. It's so aye. big, it's a big, massive part of your, your life. Aye, aye. It was, it was definitely tough, I man. Um, aye, and then as, as things progressed, we get, we get later on down the line, um, and uh, I stopped playing, and I wasn't quite pre-transplant at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to a stage where they said, right, you're, you're sub-10%. Now, now's the stage where you might need to talk to your family about how you were going to approach this if there's anyone who's mentioned in the past about who's willing to give you a, a kidney mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a really weird thing to have to bring up man um, so you know, what I would like for my Christmas yeah, is yeah go straight <laughs> onto the Facebook market on your phone and see what's going um, <laughs> but, uh, um, do you get a spare kidney <laughs> yeah, we, had a, we had a chat about it and uh, it was going to that stage and I was getting a bit kind of I don't know what the word I would use to describe it I was getting a bit antsy about it and it was getting closer and closer to, my kidney function was dropping all the time and I was in a position where... You know, and were you come, feeling the effects of that? Yeah, definitely. Um, predominantly fatigue. Okay. But until I had a transplant, you didn't really, you didn't know, right? Because yeah. you, you don't you don't feel the effects of you know normal renal function until you've got normal renal function. Are you just norm to yeah. be at such a low kind of functionality? For, for me, it was... Uh, it was it was extreme fatigue through playing rugby and I was going to training and I was I was gassing out quicker than I normally would. I used to be a lot bigger than I am now, I used to be a much bigger bloke. Um so I was, you know, I'd get a bit of slightly. You need one your fitness big man, and that's just something you shrug off as part of the rugby kind of community. Um, and that's what I thought it was as well. Uh-huh. I was like, that's it, fitness, neat hammer, fitness, neat hammer, fitness, and it turned out it was just these heavy duty effects of fatigue. Um sleep. I would go to bed for twelve hours and wake up burst, man. Um, a, a decent time at night I would always go to bed at a decent time when I got up in the morning it's, there's that stigma with teens you know lazy teens and lazy guys in their 20s stuff, particularly guys that play sports and stuff man uh-huh. they get up out your pit and all that <laughs> um, so I the, the, the fatigue the, the sleeping late and then one of the ones which I know was related to, to poor renal function because I don't suffer from it at all mm-hmm. now, but it was muscle cramps 
like mm. four, five, six times a night at horrible places like calves, hamstrings, hip flexors. And you get it in like multiple bits at once. And I used to walk up and down my corridor, try to jump Jeez, about and stretch so. these. Uh, so were you working at that point? What were you doing? Early days I was studying. When I got to the stage where I was actually going into, it was maybe pre-dialysis by a year. I At the time I worked and managed the Popinjay down the hill in, yes. in the gym in there. I, we, we carried on and eventually the doctor had said yes you know we've been working up to a transplant my dad had had we'd had this chat with my dad and my mum dad sister and my fiance all went forward to offer to donate a kidney mm-hmm. uh, my, my sister they kind of brushed aside quickly because she was a young woman and she hadn't had a family yet which can cause complications uh, later on down the line my fiance not a direct blood relative mm-hmm. so she pushed to the back and they checked my mum and dad and my dad was a really really close match right. so that started the process um, unfortunately before I could, we could have the transplant, my kidneys pretty much failed. Um, I, I still remember exactly what happened because I go in, at the time it was more frequent, but now I'm maybe every three months I go in and just get bloods done. I went in and they took bloods and I went to work. And I was in work and I got a phone call uh, from upstairs saying, oh, it's Monkman's Hospital, they're trying to get a hold of you. Chatted away on the phone, they said you the potassium in your blood's really quite high. And that didn't mean anything to me. They said, come in, get it checked. Mm-hmm. Got it checked uh, and we chatted and they said, yes. Yeah, you need to stay here to we find the results of this to see what's going on because when your potassium's high you can have negative effects on your heart. Right, um, right. And sure enough they came back saying yeah no it's, it's even higher you need to stay mm-hmm. you need you to sit down and you need to get in a bed and that that, that was that was almost the point for me I realised uh, oh, this, is, this is where it's going. Aye, yeah. They got me in a bed and they hooked me up to a heart monitor there's so much going on you don't notice what's going on with your own mm-hmm. body and my, I was sitting in the bed and my sister put her hand on my chest and said, you need to calm down. And I was like, I'm, I'm fine, I'm calm, I'm calm. And she went, no, you need to calm down. And she pointed at the heart rate monitor. My resting heart rate was like 168 beats per minute lying in her bed. So it was it was, going, it was battering in. Um, they gave me a, a like a, a tablet and water, something to help bring my potassium down, mm-hmm. recheck my bloods. And it wasn't happening at that point, sadly. Um, so that was when they said, if you had a thought about dialysis mm-hmm. how you what you're going to do how you're going to approach it because there's, there's two different types there's a uh, hemodialysis okay. which is a, a catheter in your in your chest so mm-hmm. uh, two lines go in and sit just outside your heart and uh, there's two tubes come out of it so obviously if it's going through the machine blood comes out one through the machine mm-hmm. and back in the other and the other form of dialysis is a uh, pd dialysis which is through your peritoneal cavity in your stomach mm-hmm. and it's really really weird and I, i've never fully understood it but the use the lining of your peritoneal cavity to help act as a like a filter that helps effectively right, filter the blood. Okay, wow. I was pulling the spot a little bit and I realised I worked in the fitness industry that it was either a catheter up here in my chest mm-hmm. or one through my stomach and I thought it's not going to be any good in my stomach if I'm working in the fitness of industry. Course, so yeah, yeah. I got one fitted up there and that, that was the bit where it all broke down for me because they said we're going to fit a temporary line in your neck and then we'll fit a you know, a long-term central line in your chest. So the temporary one was for a couple of, I know, it was, I was the same. Um, I, I mean, I need to take a day off if I to get a jag. You know, so <laughs> like, this is, wow. They, uh, they, they, they took me in and my, my mate had come around to visit as well. My mum, dad, my sister, my fiance were all there and they got me lying in bed on my side 
and they put this this needle on my neck and they fiddled about and got it sorted eventually. Yep. I know it was, it was cringy. Mm. I, I got up um, and I said, oh, I need you to go to the toilet. They'd finished it. It was a very quick procedure. Um, and they went, no, you need to stay there a minute. I said, no, I really need to go to the toilet. And I just wanted out of the room. Yeah. I wanted to leave. I got into the bathroom. I just, I washed my hands and I washed my face and I, 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 I collapsed on the spot basically because I'd been on my back for so long and there was a wee bit, I'd lost a wee bit of blood and then your body goes through just a little bit of shock when you get a procedure like that done. Yeah. And I, I hit the deck and I got back up and I went through and there's my mum, my dad, my sister, my fiance and my, my best mate and I just started bubbling man because that was it once that was in it was dialysis transplant yeah, yeah I'm on a journey now aye, aye that's it man that's the start of it effectively the so uh, mm. aye, it hit me like a ton of bricks um, I remember thinking to myself oh he's seen me greet I can't have that man my best mate I'll get slagged for that later on down the line um, <laughs> at the time anyway um, <laughs> So I, I I went on dialysis, that was it. Um, I think maybe something like within four or five days of that, they put me in to get a, a proper line fitted, which is the same thing, just bigger, and it's embedded a little bit more without okay. getting too complicated. Yeah. It just sits under your skin a bit more, so it's more solid. Okay. Um, so they got that, and then they, they put me on dialysis. Um, my work were great at the time. They were really good by saying, mm. like, you know, you do the rotor to suit you. If you need to drop your hours a little bit, do it. Yeah. If, if you need to get people to cover, if you need to take time off, just do what you need to Brilliant. do. So they were really superb. Mm. I have to commend them in that. Um, so at first I went in and they said, right, the dialysis patterns are Monday, Wednesday, Friday, mm-hmm. or Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. Those are the, the everyone, everyone wanted the weekend off. Mm. The the kind of Monday, Wednesday, Friday was optimal. Um, but I, I just take what I was given. I mm-hmm. got on Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, and it was in the morning, so it was four hours at a time. But because I'm a big guy, they wanted when they dialyze, they take blood samples and they want your blood levels to be at a certain level. Right. And I'm obviously a, a big bloke. Um, mm. So they put me on, they put me on for four hours, three times a week, and it wasn't getting my blood levels to where they right. wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. So extended that to three, six hour sessions, and it still wasn't quite there. Um, and then they extended it to a twilight. So I ended up Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday nights from eight at night till four in the morning. It was kind of bittersweet, eh? It was tough because I had to be away from my family, I had to be mm. away from my, my fiance. But at the same time, it worked out better in the long run because it was night. I'll not pretend I was getting great sleeps every night because no, who does sleep well no. in a hospital? Um, but I did get sleep. Yeah. Um, and then I was able to dialyse, go home, sleep for a while and do more back shifts and work, which worked out perfectly for me. It, it, it's, it's, it's a means to an end, ultimately. Of course, thankfully. yeah, um, yeah, yeah aye. But it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough quality of life. It um, seems it. So how long were you, had you do that for? A, a year. Um, what? No, that seems like a long time, but it's not. Um, right. I, I've known people who have been dialysing for. There was a laddie. There was. There was only me and two other guys on the dialysis, the twilight dialysis mm-hmm. shift, and one of the lads has been dialysing for something like nineteen years. So that's like I think he was in his forties. So he's, he's been doing it since his twenties to his forties. So that's a that's a tough wow. gig, man. There are people who dialyze for a couple of weeks, and, and sometimes their kidneys kick back in, mm-hmm. depending on what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, but. There are a year's not a long time. I'm, so I'm very for you, lucky. Was that, were they thinking that was the hope that the dialysis would help kick things back in, or was it like this is a means to an end? We have to do this first Aye. before we move on. Nah, it was more of a your, your kidneys were in a place where they they they, they can't function out. on their own anymore. Yeah. So we need to help you out, basically. So it was planned to be a preemptive transplant, so that I could. I could transplant prior to that happening, but oh, yeah. you can't tell what's going to happen no, in the no, next no. six months, a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just failed at that point. Uh, so I, um, me and my dad were in multiple appointments at the hospital. Uh, he, some on his own, some with me, and we 
the, the, if you ever want to find out if you're healthy or not, you should go offer to donate an organ because the tests they put you through are incredible. You find out everything about yourself. And they, they say uh, that anyone who donates an organ on average has a has a longer life. Not because donating an organ makes you special, but because they'll only allow very fit, healthy people right. to do it. Okay. If that makes sense. Um, so that's good. So you're um, the Iron Man of... <laughs> my, my, my dad is. My dad is. Yeah. Aye. Um, so he, he gave me the kidney and that's it. He's... Uh, I said, he'll be around for a while now. <laughs> He's not going anywhere, you know. Um, Great stuff. I, yeah, we built up to the transplant. Um, we were in a few, slightly, just slightly different appointments. We had to get, get like a, a psychoanalysis and stuff like that. Mm. So we went in together up to the Queen Elizabeth and it was a, they wanted to make sure of a few things and it, it might sound kind of far-fetched, but they wanted to make sure that I wasn't forcing them to give me a kidney. There was no money involved. Totally. Um, there was no bribery or anything yeah. like that to make sure he was doing it from his own free will to check him he was mm. sound in mind me I'm sound in mind and so they talked to both of us together they said can you bring in some pictures of you and your dad when you're younger so from ages you know a wee bairn cutting about <laughs> his nappies on all the way up to sitting in the hospital with a stooky on and stuff like yeah. that you know just silly <laughs> things um, we went in and they chatted to my dad on his own and I still don't know what they asked him what they said to him because ultimately it's, it's not any of my business they ask no. him questions and he answers the way he had to answer whether it was for me or against me, I had yeah, to do his thing. Yeah, of course. And they'd done the same with me, and they they chatted away and asked me about my upbringing and asked me a little bit about you know my relationship with my dad and, and my dad's my dad's my best pal. Well, I was best just going to ask, were you close? Have I, you always been close? Always. Yeah. I f- fishing fishing buddies um, for a young age, and that's what my papa done as well, uh, along with you know playing golf and. Uh, I, I was big into my music as well actually mm-hmm. I played guitar for about 20 years um, and he, my papa played too and he sang a bit as well and we shared musical interests I'm, a, I'm the biggest ACDC fan on the planet right, because cool, of my dad yes. you know, as well which uh-huh. is cool aye so our relationship's always I mean because it's really your dad good. and like you're a parent you're going to do whatever it takes for your, your, your kids but if you were very very close as a family that's a massive thing as a family to go through you know and then obviously your dad's like being a match and probably brought you even closer I would imagine without a shadow of a yeah, doubt um, if, that was, if that was humanly possible if it was possible <laughs> yeah um, I still I remember her saying to me at the very end of the chat she was saying uh, you know that if you know your dad could be getting wheeled into surgery and ready to go and about to get kind of anaesthetised and knocked out and he could stand up and say I don't want to do it anymore and that's fine he doesn't have to do it anymore mm-hmm. and how does that make you feel and I was kind of like just, just kind of neutral towards it. It mm. doesn't make any difference to me whether he does it or not. It says he's my dad. If he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't have to do it. If he yeah. wants to do it, then he wants to do it. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, I know that if I was in the opposite position, I would do the same for him. And if it went either way, he would feel the same. Yes. It's, it's ultimately down to him, you know. Yeah. I said, but I, 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 there was no doubt that it was going to go and it was going to go well. Mm. He he was a bit of a. We had a few chats about it because surgery worried me. What is everyone when you think course, about it? Aye. And, I was talking to him about it and every single time I, w- I was asking loads of questions and he could tell I was nervous and I was like how are you feeling and he went I'm fine he said you should be fine as well don't worry about Goodness, it I know. just obviously you and his boy he, and he was obviously keeping it together for you because yeah. you're you're the one that's ill aye. you know and he's like I have the ability to help you aye. I'm going to do it yeah so but it doesn't undermine what no. he was going through obviously not at all I guess as a dad you're just like I'm keeping it together I think it like you think of your parents especially now as an adult you see them as, as like real people not like your mummy and daddy or whatever it amazes me what parents can cope with aye that's the job yeah. of being a parent 
yeah, it's just, there it is, let's go do it. Uh-huh, we'll do it, whatever man. it takes for you. My mum my was the same, my mum was, my mum still jokes now, she went, don't worry, this kidney's good, and in 20 years' time, if you need another one, this one will be ready to go. She's <laughs> she's always, t- my mum would have done exactly the same, uh, man, my sister course. would have done the same, I've no doubt my fiance. Yeah. We, we, we've got a really good family, we're Brilliant. close to my, my, my dad's sisters, his family in Canada, family in Bears Den, when we all get together every now and then, and it's it's just great, man, we're all great. really, really close. Brilliant. So uh, you felt supported in that really uncertain such a vulnerable time for you yeah definitely you know man. just like your world turned upside down and like you were saying when growing up you were like aye 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 I'll get a kidney aye. like until it's actually happening you're like oh aye this is like and aye. then to learn everything that's going to happen and they must have just been firing information at you and you're like taking yeah. it all in and so many questions like you say just must have been so overwhelming for everybody I was I was a wee bit of a defiant teen as well to a degree because okay. when you don't think there's anything wrong with you you just go on and do your thing and you're Aye. playing rugby and at the time I think I might have been studying and I'd, I'd, I'd made the poor choice I'd missed a couple of hospital appointments and they were drilling me and saying you know you need to be in you need to be here you need to be making these appointments and looking back I can't help but think like what, what an Egypt man what a fool but like you, you, know? you, you just want to be normal like, you just want to be a normal teenager and do what everybody else is doing you don't want to stop Aye. it's totally understandable so the, the, the transplant trainer thing is a kind of is a bit of the defiant teen again in terms <laughs> of from where I was, where I've been, to where I am now, I, I absolutely love my training. Mm-hmm. I love my training and, and I dabble in different things and the only thing I can't do is I can't play rugby, which is fine, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's fine. Uh, I, I had a, a small amount of involvement in coaching uh, and helping the team out and I still say associated with the boys and that. If they play, I try and go down and watch, but rugby, I just can't do anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, when I finished playing um, and when I, when I was post-transplant, I was right. I need to. I need to do something. Um, so I played a little bit of touch rugby, but I'm too big for touch rugby. I'm oh, like right, six okay. four and what, 108 what kilos. What is touch rugby? Uh, so it's like uh, at the time it was a mixed we were playing. Uh, right. So it was men and women in the team, completely non-contact. Right. Built for people who are about five foot tall and about seven stone. Uh, no, for me, um, not at all. <laughs> Quick. What, what height are you? I'm about six four. Um, I didn't know that. And then when you came to the door, I was like, oh, for goodness. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Touch rugby is great. It's good fun and it's a good laugh. And it just, it wasn't quite filling the void. And right. it sounds horrible, but every time I got a ball in my hands and wanted to run in, it's something um, you know. Which Not you obviously, to do that. no, exactly. Um, and there was a few. It's high speed. It's high pace. So there was okay. a few bumps, and I was very standoffish because I didn't want to hurt anybody. Aye. I didn't want to, to bump be fair, anybody. I would not like to get hit by you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then uh, I, I played touch rugby for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I progressed getting back into the gym. I train and work out of a gym uh, called Blockline and Blantyre. This was, even when I was still at the Poppin' J, I trained there, um, right. and it's a it's a kind of strongman gym. Um, so, so that was it for me. Uh, when they moved, they moved premises not long ago, a few years ago, and they had stones and a log, and I, I was doing like generic weightlifting and mm-hmm. stuff, stuff that I'd done when I was still playing rugby, and that right. was the stuff that I enjoyed because that ultimately was going to make me better at my sport. Mm. So it was just it was programmed in. And I done a wee bit, of, a wee bit of strongman and some weightlifting, and a big buddy of mine who through shot put and discus was like, "Do you fancy coming down and giving it a bash?" Because he was kind of similar. He played American football for about thirty years, and then just through age stopped. Started throwing athletics, and and, and I gave it a bash, and you know I was, I was pretty poor at it, but I wanted to <laughs> give it a bash and uh-huh. try and see how I went. So I, I went and I trained and I joined an athletics club, and I remember one day I got up. I got a letter through the door um, from a woman called Karen Casey and it was asking if I was, I, I knew about this in the back of my head, but it was asking if I wanted to go to attend the transplant games and it was in, in Lanarkshire 
which is right at my doorstep. Yeah. So British Transplant Games, where we threw shot pot at the competition is where I, I trained for shot pot a lot. Wow. I wish a sports centre, it was just along the road. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you know, I didn't know that the Transplant Games had been here. Like, yeah. I obviously heard of the Transplant Games and yeah. Lisa Hertwig that was on the podcast a while ago, she took part in the Transplant Games before, but it, it certainly wasn't here. I think it was Aye. down south somewhere. But I had no idea that it had been in Lanarkshire. Aye, she was... So how, how did she got into... Like, how did she know about you and... She she uh, she got access not directly to my data, but she yeah. got to basically she she found the catchment of all the transplant patients in the Lanarkshire area through cool. Monklands, and yeah. they sent out letters saying right. if you have any interest in being part of the games, do this, you know, do uh-huh. your thing and go join Karen and, and get they have a meeting once every month. It was at the time. And following your transplant, had you been part of the transplant community like at all, like since getting your no your transplant? I, I, I was offered a lot. I was offered. Um, to go to like you know some chats because mm. some people need to talk to someone about yeah. it and stuff as well and I just kind of it was a lot of macho rubbish again I was like fine don't need that um, <laughs> I could have maybe done with it at the time but it's just that that macho carry on um, not no real association at no. all and the, the other thing that got me involved was, was another gentleman called uh, Simon Elmore his name is and we are, we are really good friends now mm-hmm. he was at and this is a cool story actually he was at the Buchanan Arms in Drummond which at the time I think still is was the sister hotel of the Popinjay so I managed the Popinjay and another chap called Brian managed the gym and the Buchanan Arms. Simon was up in Scotland for a wedding because he's from, he's from down south. Right. Up in Scotland for a wedding and he was using, he's a fit guy, a lot of training in the gym and you know he's always talking about organ donation and the importance and the power and what, what it can do and how it can help people and mm. seeing people pre and post transplant and how incredible it is. Oh, yeah. So he was chatting away to Brian about that and Brian says, oh one of my mates, he manages the gym over in uh, over in Lanarkshire, over in the bottom, he says, he's a transplant patient. And within two days of this conversation transpiring, this dude adds me on Facebook, he's found me, you know, and he's sent me a message. And all he said was, mate, next year, transplant games, Lanarkshire, it's on your doorstep, are you coming? Uh-huh. And then we chatted a little bit over it, and I talked to him about it, and I was like, sure, 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 let's, let's do it then. Um, cool. And I entered into a couple of events, you know, the... The Transplant Games was designed, it was it was brought together something like 40 years ago and the idea was to get transplant patients fit and active mm-hmm. post-transplant and I think the programme they've got going together is absolutely tremendous because it's it's easy to, to have something like that happen to you and feel kind of hard done to and just, you know, disappear into your shell and, and think, you know, oh, I can't be doing that because it might not be good and stuff. Mm. And ultimately, the best thing you can do is be active and fit yeah, and healthy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah I'd done Lanarkshire. I went to Lanarkshire and uh, I placed, I never won anything, but I placed in a uh, shot put and discus. Um, cool. which I, was, I was really chuffed with, I was really happy with, and it was exciting. Nice. And I, I got hooked to it at that point. So, they hold a, a British every year and every second year, the GB team will do selections for the GB team in the World Transplant Games. So, Every during 2017, that was the same year as the previous World Transplant Games, which was in Malaga. So I went to Birmingham the year afterwards mm-hmm. with the intention of, of, of trying to win. That mm. was the plan to try and win in shot and discus at the very least. Those are the two events I was I was kind of trained in, and I, and I, and I done it. I won golden shot no and golden discus. Amazing. Um, and on the same day, I got selection from the the team manager Lynn Holt. It said to me, "This is I hear you've done well on your throwing." Superb. Our first GB training camp is in uh, Coventry in October. It says if you want to come down, and sure enough, I went down and <laughs> I had the the opportunity one year later in Newcastle, just the other week there, to represent Great Britain in shot put and discus, which was incredible. Goodness, it was really incredible. That's yeah, great. it was. Uh, when I got the letter through the door, I can't even tell you how how I felt about it. I felt Did like, you ever I felt be like a kid. 
just about it wasn't far away from it man it was pretty incredible it sure is pretty incredible it was cool for really him cool. not being on your radar yeah in such a short period of time yeah to get to that level yeah it was incredible man um, amazing that really was you obviously got like with the rugby you got the bug for it you just yeah, hooked yeah, yeah. and then had that attitude of I like you're saying just I'm I'm going to keep going with my life I'm not going to lie down to this Aye. this is a positive thing and obviously being active you know all your life that's just your go to yeah you, you, you've got to do your thing man you can't lie down to it you've got to you've got to within reason do what you love and enjoy yourself and you have to find something that's stimulating for you yeah. and I, I've trained a bit in strong man I haven't competed but they've got loads of kit in the gym we hold an event session every month and maybe in the next couple of years I'll, I'll get one in the mm. month but for now, shot pot led me into to Highland Games as well and heavies. Right, and, okay. And my, I've the, never been to Highland Games, which is really weird because I never. was a Highland dancer really? for a long time. Oh, so when Andy Kearney, who was on the podcast, uh, was talking about the Highland Games, I was like, do you know, that's so weird how I've never been to Highland Games. Because yeah. he was saying about all the different kind of games and sports that there is, like, yeah. it was like, it was a proper education. Yeah. It's it's cool. It's really, really cool. Um, we, we met a chap at the athletics track who competed in it right. and his mum actually uh, runs Shots Highland Games right. which is fairly local obviously um, but she ba- he basically said you know if, if you fancy giving it a bash come down and he lives in Kaluk which is literally right. the same place I live pretty much <laughs> totally. so he had kit asked me to go down give it a bash you know and, and I'm not claiming to be any good at it I'm pretty new to it still it takes a bit of doing and a bit of confidence building and lots right. and lots of training but I, I've got my first full season under my belt we went to uh, Last year we went to South End, which is literally nowhere. It's like oh, four hours away. It's past Campbelltown. That's how far away it is. Okay. Um, we went along, and it was a really quaint wee games. There was like a single pipe band playing. They had Highland dancing up on the stage. Mm-hmm. A great community, and there was me, Ian, Paul, and a bunch of young local lads came along, and, and, and we competed, and, and it was just great, man. I, I got the bit between my teeth for competing again, and it was something that you know I can go to the gym, I can train for, I can get kit, I can train for. And it's not going to put, like, it's not going to be like rugby, but it's going to put just too much stress on my yeah. body and, and yeah. I can really enjoy myself. Um, you get what you got from rugby from that. Yeah, it's definitely filling. And the camaraderie, I would imagine, is just the same as being in a rugby team. You're still getting the banter, you're still getting everybody up for it and seeing each other on. And Full of good lads. Full of good lads. Great. Right, really good lads. And there's a couple of guys who are really top level. They're finishing top five in Scotland. And the thing is, I think the people who maybe don't know much about the Highland Games see the heavies and think it's just a bu- big bunch of lads throwing things around. But some of these guys are proper athletes, man. They, they, they pretty much do it for a living. Mm. They, they, they really do well for themselves. And, and the stuff they do in the gym and the stuff they do on the field almost seems superhuman. I mean, I, my second ever Highland Games was North Berwick last year and that was the only two the games I'd done last year. And I went along and we were throwing shot pot and there was this chap called Scott Ryder there. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Scott Ryder is? I don't no, think so, ne- no, ne- no, neither, no. Neither did I. So I went along and I, I threw a shot pot. And I threw a shot pot maybe 10 and a half metres, which is a kind of semi-respectable shot pot. <laughs> uh, it turns out Scott was like ex-GB Commonwealth. So he threw a shot pot in gla- grass, something like 17 and a half, 18 metres. Oh, goodness, right? And he, he's represented Great Britain several times in wow. shot pot as well. So they're not, they're not just big guys, they are great yes, athletes uh-huh. man their you know? skill uh-huh. technique very talented uh-huh. very talented are, are there many women yeah they're, they're, not as many uh-huh. not as many but it's always great to go to our games where there, there is a women's contingent yeah, as well yeah. competing um, the, I think I've been to I asked that as if I was thinking that I was going to you can you got a bash <laughs> can you imagine we'll get you training we'll get you down to the gym 
Uh, I no, we we, we done uh, the two we done last year. Uh, South End didn't have a ladies. North Berwick had a ladies yeah. section, and then I done ten this year. And I think I'm thinking, Adrosin, Liz Mahego. I done uh, Butte there and Aaron as well. Wow. So I've done ten this year. So nice to see bit parts of the country as well, a bit. Oh, it's incredible! Aye, incredible. Really, Scotland beautiful. Aye, I do like my traveling. I do like my traveling in Scotland, but it's just an excuse to do more of it. Of it really is. Ten. So I done Guruk or Drossen, Liz Mahego. Uh, Shots had a gala day heavies demo event because sadly Shots wasn't on this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Forres or by Inverness. Wow. Uh, Morven. I didn't know where Morven was. Basically, by Balahulish, then the Glencoe, and, and another two of us beyond there. Uh, Newton Moore on the way up to the Cairngorms, wow. um, Butte, Aaron, it's, it's been incredible, it really has. We've probably seen some beautiful sights along the way. Yeah, I think Aaron was particularly lovely. We went to Aaron to compete, and my mate Paul actually won Aaron Highland, uh, Brodick Highland Games, and we got a picture of him holding the trophy, and it was a beautiful blue day, and up in the back, his goat fell up behind them as well. So, it's just some incredible yeah, scenes. Totally. And the only time I was ever over in Aaron was playing rugby but you never at that point your head's in the game you go you play rugby you have a beer and you go home yeah, I... you don't pay much attention to that but <laughs> the Highland Games is it's just a wee bit more relaxed mm. so I've got to sit in the ferry have a bit of chat see the sights it was really nice. incredible Aye, and I like how it's like keeping the traditions alive like that was certainly part of my role when I worked yeah. with the dance company that I worked for for years it was basically keeping the traditions of Scotland alive you know, keeping Highland Dance, and I mean, there's various forms of Highland Dance that people, you know, step and Orkney step that people have never even heard of, sure, which yeah. come from these areas. Yeah, so yeah, the fact that the Highland Games is still such a thriving community is brilliant. Like, I think it's important. These are things that have been passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. Um, so it's nice that people like yourself are discovering them. You know, later on, yeah, I like invest commas later in life, like ah. still obviously very young still, <laughs> Ross. But it's lovely that people are discovering that community and becoming part of it and yeah. sharing stories you yeah. know and like anything physical and outdoors as well being outdoors in the uh, fresh air you know there's nothing, nothing better I, you get a, I got a wee the first time I was standing with a kilt on and my kit on holding a, a hammer in my hands getting ready to throw and the pipes are playing in the background you hear your hair stick like, up on end it's, just, it's exactly <laughs> man yes it's, it's, that's exactly how you is feel is that a given do you need to wear a kilt is that yeah, a, is yeah. that Oh, you yeah, do, you have to you? wear a kilt. You have to wear a kilt. Cool. There's what no, tartan have you got? Have you got? Is there a family tartan? Yeah, I've got my family tartan on my dad's side. Eh, my my grand sister Armstrong tartan. So nice. that's that's my family. My nice. family tartan. Eh, that was specific because I actually for my first two games I, I borrowed a kilt uh-huh. and it was a wee thirty quid shot off of eBay. Uh-huh. My mate bought two a couple of them and he's a big bloke as well, so he gave me one of his dues. And then as I was going through the winter, I done a bit of training with some mates, do some more shot pot and thought I'm, I'm going to give this a bash and, and get a bit, yeah. try and get a bit of a circuit in and I spoke about getting a, a kilt and mum and dad spoke to me about my birthday it was coming up my 31st birthday was in uh, February there mm-hmm. and they said if, if you want a kilt we'll, we'll, we'll get nice. you a kilt man so very very kind of them to go out we went to the kilt centre in Hamilton went in what are you after and, and the, the ancient Armstrong tartan was the one I wanted lovely so, aye it's, it's got it's, it's got it's money's worth so far anyway it's going to get used plenty well worn and earlier on, before we started recording, you were saying about um, doing some talks about your transplant. So how did that come about? So I got a phone call from the hospital one day. Uh, I'm not the only one I've done it. It was because the guy who was usually doing it kind of wasn't able to attend one mm-hmm. of them. So what they do is they, they create a, a support group to help prepare people. Talk will only prepare you, but it can at least give you an idea of what you're going to go through. Um, who are building up for dialysis and transplantation. Mm-hmm. So 
I go along and, and I have a chat with these people who I can immediately relate with and they can relate with me as well because yeah. you know they're going to be where I am and I've been where they are mm-hmm. ultimately so to talk to them and, and let them know that you know where you are is tough and, and where you're going to be is, is going to be tough but ultimately there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel yeah. it's, it's, it's going to go from as the dialysis a means to an end it's, it's a hard quality of life but it doesn't mean that you can't do anything no. you, know? you can go out well, you can be fit you can still that. 100% yeah. you know it's just like you're look, there's a fork in the road and you're going this way now of course yeah but then look at how enriched your life has been through getting a kidney transplant it's been it's been pretty incredible so far it really has been it's, it. it's, uh, it's been it's been it's been black and white night and day from pre and yeah. post um, and I guess being a trainer and, and working in the industry that you were in you would have been confident to a certain degree obviously talking to people but how was that doing an actual it's sometimes you, you always even you, going to anything if you're going to talk to people in my head I had to think right is there anything that you don't want to say that's the first oh, thing that I think about is, is there anything you don't want to you say and, I, and you also need to be careful because you're not trying to rub it in people's faces you're trying to stand next to them if that makes sense Lovely. it's like yeah. I, I, I was described I remember being told how to take complaints working in the service <laughs> industry and it was you kind of need to get around the other side of the desk with the person a little bit. So that, that nice. was the approach I took, was to try and, you know, I, I was standing there in front of them, but I was trying to, you know, be there in the audience uh-huh. with them at the same time and, and just relate to them Yeah, because well. you are over the hill yeah. at that point. I'd, I'd done a, another talk at, uh, uh, some, what's your Calder Glen Primary, I think it was, mm-hmm. and it was just before the, I think it was, it was either just before or just after the Lanarkshire Games and the team manager, Karen, had asked me to go along. And it was really funny because I think that was the first time I'd ever really spoken in front of a group of people before okay. outside of being drunk in a pub and just talking in front of a group of people and thinking <laughs> they're listening to you. Um, but uh, I remember going along and I was a little bit nervous mm. and I'd, I'd actually went and bought paper and I was writing stuff down and I'm like, I'm not going to take this up with me, why am I doing this? And I, I went into a uh, to chat and I sat in the waiting area and it's getting closer and closer to the time and I'm like, where's Karen? Please show up, Karen, don't not show up. And she, the woman who, it was an active schools coordinator, mm-hmm. came to get me and went, right, you here to do the talk? And I was like, yeah, is Karen about? They went, yeah, she's phoned me, she's going to be half an hour late, so if you can just great, start. Karen, great, Karen, great. And I was like, oh no, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And we people are a tough audience. Aye, I think I was, I was quite, the idea of the talk was, it was it was their sports week, so I was to talk to them a little bit about, nice. you know, health and nutrition and a little bit about transplantation mm. and, and not you're not going to push all condition into young kids faces it was like more about I, it was more like <laughs> if, if look what I can do what I've been through you guys can definitely do it kind yes. of thing you know to help just, just lift their spirits in that and I remember what's a great way to get across the kids so I went out and bought like fruit and vegetables put them in a bag brought them along and I did the thing where does anyone know what this is yep. does anyone know what it's good for you know you make mm. the association with you know the famous one is carrots help you see in the dark yes. yeah so there's a, fu- a funny story about that and it was uh, I pulled out like a bag of walnuts and I explained to them you know they say the walnuts are good for, for your brain and what does a walnut look like oh it looks like brain and they made that silly association and stuff <laughs> and then I pulled a bag of carrots out of the bag and I held it up and I said who knows what these are good for? And every single kid in the audience went, help you see in the dark. And one little guy down the front went, actually, that's not true. <laughs> There's always <laughs> one. I was kind of sniggering away laughing, going, oh, don't say that. Was, but I just I just talked, man. I just talked and, and, and the teachers seemed to like it and there was mums and dads there and they seemed to like it and they had questions. And, and the kids were actually great. They were very mm. subdued. I, I, was, I was pre-told by a couple of my friends who work in primary schools that with day-to-day people who they meet every day, kids are usually sometimes a wee bit 
uh, what can I get away with here? But when mm. someone new comes in, they can be quite subdued. And, and the yeah. kids at school were terrific. They really Did were. you enjoy it? Yeah, I got a real buzz off of it. Aye. Man. Um, I, I was, I'm not pretending, I was I was putting pictures up on social media. Like, I had, had the pleasure of talking up at Calderon Primary School and the kids were great and this is what we spoke about and it was, it was really terrific. These are the things that you remember when you're a kid. Like yeah. when you had somebody come into your school and, uh, and that's the joy of my job because, you know, people are like, oh, you'd be a great primary teacher. And I'm like, that's a whole other kettle of fish, like hands up to teachers, by ah, the way. Definitely. Like I get to go in and do my thing and they all love it. And then I'm like, bye, do you yeah. know what I mean? But that's what I enjoy about it because when you go in, sometimes you can just reach a kid through sport or through the arts. And it's just sometimes somebody coming in that they've never met before, they've never seen that. Yeah. And then they're looking at you and obviously doesn't, you look like you've had a transplant. Because what does that look like? Aye. Anyway, you know what I mean? Aye. like. Then maybe their idea of someone who had been ill or been living with something like that. And it can be inspiring. These are the things that you remember as a kid, you know, and it, it can just be that wee nugget, that wee glimmer of like, oh, that's yeah, cool. Getting a kid into sport or thinking about their health, yeah. you know, which is really important. You have to look after your body. You only yeah. get one, yeah. you know, and um, it, I guess it is easy if you've lived through something to just tell your story you just yeah you just go through the pictures in your head and, mm. and, and transfer it into words effectively yeah. you know, and you've got uh, a great attitude you're obviously very passionate about your sports definitely. you're obviously passionate about life in general about living your life to the full has that kind of always been your mantra or do you think post-transplant that's something that's been I've always been a happy guy mm. always been happy and I, you know I, I've got a great group of friends and we've got great stories for over the years and stuff and I get married next year, so I know that I'm going to hear oh, some cool. of them. Congratulations! Um, thanks very much. Um, but I, I, I've always been. I think. I think the only time in my life where I've had a lot, felt a little bit hard done to was during dialysis, and I, I never, I never went and spoke to anybody, and I was offered, you know, talk groups and stuff like that, and I never done it, and you know, I, there was probably a, a minor bit of depression I was going through, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a spend time in my room not talking to anybody. Depression. No. It was a selfish, I'm going to buy myself a new car and I'm going to drive up to the mountains kind of depression. I, I don't know about yeah. hill walking during di- dialysis because I just wanted to be out and I was like, mm-hmm. well, who knows what's going to happen next so I want to see more of Scotland and I want to do a bit and I, I, I was probably indirectly not very nice to, to my, without actually being not nice or doing it's anything that's not your, nice. Yourself. I was probably indirectly not very nice to my mum, dad, sister, and my fiance, but not in a not in a you know a direct way. Just no. in a being a selfish to myself way, you know. And, and my, my fiance was great because she just what are you doing this weekend? And I was always out, and I was always out, and I was always out, just doing, doing stuff for me. Yeah. My mate Billy was out with me a lot. We would go do random hills and stuff, and I'd be back at the end of the day, and then I'd be back to dialysis and back to working and stuff. Um, Your family would they'll know you yeah. you know, inside out upside down and, yeah. and they would have understood completely what you were going through and it's just like this is a period of time Aye. where you are going through something that's massive yeah. and you, they were obviously just like hands off do your thing because this is so. what you needed you obviously yeah. needed that at the time very lucky you know? guy yeah very lucky brilliant. Guy. absolutely right so what's next what you what's the next challenge what are you planning for preparing for at the moment um off season for Highland Games for next right, year. Okay. I'm, I'm going to really drill training throughout the winter. Um, I want to keep working on my, my throwing because I've got the British again next year uh, in Warwick University in Coventry. Cool. The transplant games, and then provided I do well enough in that, the next World Transplant Games is in Houston 2021 in Texas. 
So I'd you're really, totally there. Yeah, that that's it. So I, th- this year's games, I I done well. I threw PBs. I had to be happy. I didn't make quite make first place, and it's a competitive, but it's not a. Uh, uh, rubbing someone's face I need to do everything I can to beat you competitive because everyone you meet is in a similar situation to you or, but it ultimately from rugby and from what I've, I've done I'm a competitive guy I've got every intention in going to That's Houston, Texas thing. 2021 and, and winning Yes. Without a shadow of a doubt. Great. Yeah. I'm the prize. Thoughts become things. Yeah. Just that's You've yours. Got it, man. You've definitely got to. So yeah, yeah. All facing the Highland Games for next year, um, and and Houston 2021. Really? Yeah, yeah. Really. And you it. have your own personal training business now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how's that going? Yeah, it's great. Um, I've been self-employed for I'm mean, losing track th- three years now, three and a half years. Um, it's it's uh, for anyone who is self-employed or know it's slow to start and it builds and builds and builds. Uh, uh, Block nine, Jim Blantyre, I work out of, and it's just a great place. Um, it's a great community. I have a great support from the Nick and Jennifer that, that own it. Um, mm-hmm. They've been superb. We we do we do referrals between each other. We send clients each other's way, and I owe quite a lot of my success to to them as well, man. To, yeah. to how well I'm doing. Uh, I just love the place. It's a bit like fishing dodgeball. Yes. It's really like average Joe's in Dodgeball Man, where it's just got this tremendous community of great people, you great. know. Not away from the like everyone's good at training and they enjoy themselves and it's a great environment. And you know, you've got guys in there who are competing at like at national strongman level. Right. And then you've got people who have never been to a gym in their life and they all mingle and integrate so well. It's, 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 it's I just think the gym a, can be quite an intimidating place for people. Of course it when can. They've yeah. never been before or not been for years, you Aye. know, so it's nice to know that these places exist but it's not a posing gallery Aye, you know and everybody's definitely. there just doing their thing and not you know kind of eyeing each other up going well oh, check him out or check her out there and Aye. that's nice to know that these places still exist it's, it's, we, we do uh, a couple of guys who do compete compet- who do competitive strongman and we hold like random event session once a month and just get a group of people in and it's sometimes it's me and Leon and Connor and William and guys who actively do it and sometimes it's people who have never done it in their life and they mm. just want to try it so we create an environment where you know give it a bash you know just take your time with it we want you to get something out of the session we want you to come back and enjoy it um, and it's it's great we've had great responses from yeah. it you know it's been superb it's been really, really? fun yeah. and I've seen that you play guitar yeah guitar I, yeah, I've played uh, I, before everything before rugby before swimming before throwing before kidney was even a word in my head yeah, I played I played guitar. Right. Uh, I went down to so it was first year at Lark Hall Academy and you know, you were going through your standard kind of eight subjects and you were getting to find out what you liked, what mm-hmm. you didn't like. And I wasn't I wasn't as sporty at that point in my life. Um, in fact I, I hated be. I didn't like Did that at all. You? That's, that's to think that. that no, I wasn't. Your, your teachers must be like now if they knew they'd be like my goodness, pretty, couldn't get you in, Pete? Pretty, pretty different, man. I was always at, oh, I've not got my kit. Or, <laughs> still, uh, I remember uh, a friend of mine, Jennifer Ballantyne, uh, was going down to get guitar lessons. And I, I played like a little bit of drums. So I thought, I wonder if I'm going down to get drum lessons. So it was like one half hour slot on a Wednesday for 30 minutes. And at the time, all I thought was getting out of class for 30 minutes. Nice. First year, you know, <laughs> unofficially dogging it, man. Um, <laughs> So we got to go down and I remember going down and speaking to a couple of people out, is there a drum shooter, is there a jump shooter? Mm. And this bloke with a receding hairline and glasses called Paul Adams just grabbed me, sat me in a room, put a guitar in my hands <laughs> and went, we're playing stereophonics, big man. And I was like, cool. cool. And we played. And then within, I reckon, a year of, of that, my mum and dad got me my, my first ever guitar. Um, hmm. and, I, and it was one of those standard, kind of, it was like a, a copy of a Strat and an amp and a lead and a setup for like 
buttons. It was, <laughs> yes. I loved it, man. It was great. And <laughs> it grew from that. To, like, you were talking earlier about you know having a like family and a musical family mm. as well and stuff. And, and I'm the same. Yeah, I, just I, I touched on because music is ma- a massive thing in my life. Yeah. And I think the music can be such a great thing in your life. You know, whatever you're into, that it just punctuates all the you know parts of your life and this the songs that you've grown up with and the music that you've grown up with. I think yeah. like the rugby, like all the, the fitness stuff, like having an art in your life is really important and to carry on in, into adulthood I think it's really important too yeah it, it doesn't always stick um, but both my aunts sing right great singers as well and I actually had the pleasure of hearing both my aunts and my dad's mum my gran uh, singing and harmonising inside the mausoleum in Hamilton wow how nice so a long time ago because I was quite young I remember, but I still remember it happening because I just remember looking up and seeing the light poking through the top of it and I don't think you're allowed access to it quite so much these days, but at the time it was before they'd put the fences up Aye. and stuff like that, um, long time ago. And that was, I don't think it is anymore, but it was in the Guinness World Book of Records for having the longest echo. Does it? Yeah. I don't. I think it's been beaten by something somewhere else in the world, but if you can imagine three good singers in there belting out, it wow, was... Wow, that's so cool. I wish, I, could re- I wish I could rehear it as an adult, man. Do you I remember really what do. they sang? No, I, I'm not sure that they sang a song. I think they just harmonised together and just created sounds. this great sound. Yeah, I might be wrong. My aunts will remember. They'll be able to tell me directly, but I, I, it, was, it was incredible. It was really cool to hear. That's um, so cool. My whole family, both my, my gran and my papa both sang. They used to do... Uh, Something that was, was to do with the schools here. Was it called Easter Egg or something like aye, that? I think it's still, I'm assuming it's still going as far as I'm aware, aye. No doubt, aye. aye. They, they used to be associated with that. And my right. papa would go play piano and play guitar and sing. My gran would sing. Both my aunts would sing. Great. Um, it skipped a generation a wee bit with my dad. My dad sings a wee bit aye. and he's played a little bit of guitar and stuff. But he's still, as much as he doesn't do something directly, he's still enormously passionate mm. about it. Enormously passionate yeah, yeah. about it. Um, and you're a massive ACDC fan? Oh, just any kind of music with guitar in it, to be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big rock and metal fan in general, I'm a big Metallica fan and stuff like that. Cool. Any, anything heavy, um oh, I'm going to see Machine Head in a couple of months actually in the too. But uh, I anything at all. I've played the uh, acoustic acoustic and then got a couple of electrics and I've got a I've got like a sixty watt valve amp and six guitars in the house. Wow. So I still I still play to this day. Do you uh, use music when you're training? Yeah, oh I, I can't right. not I can't not. I'm either I've either got headphones on and I'm listening or I go down behind the desk and I turn something angry on and I crank it up and <laughs> I do I get all sorts of funny looks you know and something I, angry when I'm not training I put on stuff that everyone can listen to when I'm training I get oh Ross is training it's a carry on now it's all that screaming stuff and that's all the stuff you get at you you know it, it just makes it more stimulating man it's really I can see myself walking up and down and I'm maybe building up to like a max working set I pull off the floor there's certain songs sit with me and it might be a song where it is a a big heavy breakdown or something, as soon as that kicks in, something flicks and that's it, you're switched Aye. on, you're ready to go. Aye, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Love it. Well, we're moving on to what we call the thingamabobs. Cool. I have selected out a few questions for yourself. So these are just totally random and if you need to pause for thought, that's fine. Okay. So my first question to you is, if you were in a band, mm-hmm. what would they be called? Oh no. Eh... <laughs> uh, <laughs> We were, in a, we were in a band years ago and it was called Militia. Nice. <laughs> Militia, yeah. And I think it was because we took it from uh, the first Metallica album called Kill Em All and it had a song on it called Metal Militia. So we were like, like that's what we're going to call Yeah, we had a CD and everything. Did My mate made a CD and it had like Militia on it and some random made up oh, symbol that was associated with the band. So 
Militia. 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 Yeah. I love it. I love it. Let's go with that. Brilliant. Um, who or what makes you laugh? My dog makes me laugh. Um, you're he's got I'm all so sorts glad of you mad faces. Your dog. I'm, I'm actually gutted now I didn't ask you to bring him. No. You <laughs> have got a beautiful dog. Yeah, he's a good lad. He's a, he's a dog mode, he's a French dog master. Dog so. of course. Aye, same family, same family, same big droopy face. Roman? Roman. He is handsome. He's a good lad. This is how, this is basically how I started a podcast, so I can meet all the dogs. All the dogs. <laughs> You missed so, your chance. I'm totally gutted. I should have just been like that. And can you bring the dog? He's a he's he's <laughs> he's just like he's funny because eh? he does really really silly things. He's, he's clumsy. He's, I'll never forget when we, we first brought him home. We left his bed in the kitchen and he wouldn't lie in his bed and he was all over the place and he, he walked from one end of the room to the other and we had one of those uh, IKEA poang chair things. Yes. With a wee footstool bit yes. and he walked past it and he bumped into it and he tripped and he got back up and he barked at it and went and lay down <laughs> in the corner. He's just such an idiot. He's got such a silly face on him. And dogs do those things. He's maybe been over a tree and he's just done the toilet and he'll look at me and he kicks big holes at the ground with his feet and he'll stare at me and nothing will happen until one of his flinch. And if I flinch, he starts bowing about like an idiot. So he's, he's, he's pure entertainment. <laughs> Full of fun. Full pure of fun. entertainment. Oh, he's, oh he's a bro, bro boy. I love it. I love it. Um, what is the most on brand story about you from when you were wee. What's the story that ever would like your mum or your dad retail about you? <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but a long time ago when McDonald's were bringing out Happy Meals, they were bringing out uh, Smurfs. Yes. Smurfs came out in the Happy Meals, little models. Mm-hmm. Well, I used to, before mum and that we all stayed together in the house in Lark Hall, we stayed with my grand for a wee while in Portland Place in Hamilton. And yeah, she had one of those old, like, bar heaters in the wall mum and dad had sat with the, the thingies on top of it and they were out of the room and I wanted to get it and I pushed like a chair up next to it got my smurfs jumped in and uh, I uh, apparently someone was burning something a couple of minutes later somewhere uh, so you could smell it and oh, no. mum and dad like what have you done and I, I get a wee, I've had a wee bit of stick about that so you know I remember this I remember the really time you really burnt the house really really you know? the and a bit of stick about that you know I, I was pretty Pretty injury prone as I went. Right. I, I, I there wasn't many summers went by where I wasn't in a cast of some sort oh or some way, shape sake. or form. Um, so it was, I there was a lot of stick about that. I, I think loads of pictures of me and my sister were younger. I'm smiling. I've got like, a cast in my arm or I kick my leg and a cast. See, you were slagging poor Roman there for being clumsy. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> you must get it off me. That's probably where he gets it from. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Best gig you've ever been to. Oh, that's really, really easy, man. I'm a, I'm a big metal fan. I've seen really big bands like Metallica and Kiss mm-hmm. and Guns N' Roses and that. Um, when I was going through my musical phases, from progressive guitar, it was like Travis Stereophonics, yes. one of like slightly heavier kind of punky stuff. Mm-hmm. And I went through like it was like music, music, and everything in there is the Offspring, <laughs> the band, the Offspring. I loved Offspring. I was a, a huge fan, a massive fan, and I'll yeah. never forget when we're out when you're. When we were in first year in school, everyone wore band hoodies, and my first ever band hoodie was an Offspring hoodie. And one of the first songs I learned to play on an electric guitar was Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Loved that song. Huge. I, I bought the single of that. Oh, I brilliant. loved it. Terrific band. Um, seen them live it's a couple of times. I think squats too, by the way. I used to do squats in a dance class to that very song. I need to remember that <laughs> next time I'm squatting. Um, we, uh, we, I've seen them a few times in, in big okay. gigs like SECC and stuff in Glasgow, but. I think it would have been about three years ago, uh, me and two mates, Big Henry and Jamie, got tickets to see them in the O2, 
and it was the first gig I ever went to where I wasn't standing because we couldn't get standing tickets. Yeah, yeah. So there was only seating tickets up on the balcony left, and we sat for the whole gig. But I've never sang so much in my life. They just played banger after banger after banger song. It was incredible. Did they? I think really, they were still going. I don't They look a wee bit weathered now. They do, but <laughs> the music doesn't sound any. It sounds great, man. They really do well. Thank I want you. to come back, man. I'm ready. So Aye. hands down. I've seen ACDC before. I love ACDC, mm. and that they were incredible as well. But it has to be that offspring gig. It was. It was. Brilliant. Nice, that, that's, you've totally made me want to listen to that song now, I'm going to listen to it. It's good crack. Can you handle two more? Go for it. Would you rather be able to understand any language or be, be able to play any instrument? Oh, that's really hard. You're tugging in my heart string a wee bit there. Um, <laughs> we, we had discussions about this recently because as a Scot, as a Brit, whenever you go abroad, Everyone speaks English and we don't speak, unless you're very specific, you just don't. The big chap who beat me in shot put at the transplant games there was an Iranian chap okay. who, who spoke even a tiny wee bit of English and I just felt a little, I felt arrogant because I couldn't communicate with people who didn't speak, you know, the, the language that we speak mm. over here and most other countries do and I've been, to, I've been to Czech Republic, I've been to Holland, I've been to Denmark, I've been to loads of places. Wow. Um, France and, and Spain and they all speak English so. you're so right you're spot on so the two questions you've asked me is one's to do with my heart and one's to do with my head so it's uh, I, I, I would probably say any language I would have to that's yeah. that's the right thing to do you know yeah. the right you're thing right to do, though, when you're abroad and you do make an effort to say hello or whatever in the native Aye. language like people really do appreciate it yeah of course and it's yeah. just that you know you've made an effort yeah and my last question is also to do with words right ask everybody this Okay. What is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Oh, is that because I you use said a, lot a fair of few journalists, by I, the way. I, I, that I see a lot of them. I, this is a, a recent thing, but I, and, and I'm not just saying this because of the name of your podcast, but I use the word bra all the time. Yeah, yeah. In the last few years, I say it all the time. Um, and I don't know if it's the association with the Highland Games, but, but, uh, but it's just a great word and it's, it's a bit like a, like a big bit of stone it's just as it is it's just a, in the description it gives just for the word bra it's just it's great I say aye bra bra I need to be bra yes aye. delighted you picked bra I, should, <laughs> I think you're the man. first person oh that's not that bad then so, no. <laughs> what other people said um, we've had Egypt Egypt we've had Joby Joby of course no doubt <laughs> We've no had doubt. Gallus. Gallus a good one as well we've had phrases of course as well um, we've had Digi crack on and <laughs> stuff like that totally aye. Um, Digi is a great Digi. one. Digi. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've had Goni no do that. We no do that. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm delighted you picked, bro. That's good. It's a good one. It's a good one. Well, a Ross, good this has been a very broad conversation. It's been good. You have been absolutely the dream to talk to. Oh, Thank you so much for sharing your story. Very kind. And of I wish say. you all the success and anything you. I mean, you just ooze positivity. So I'm sure whatever you do next, it'll be. A great so a broad story to tell. I'm sure you'll be back on the broad and the brave at one point to tell us all your other achievements. But in the meantime, thank you so much. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Broad and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.